Is it time to quit this job? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, a lot of you are probably asking that question. Is it time to quit this job? You know, here we are, almost the middle of summer already. Maybe take a vacation. You know, vacation is a great time to kind of clean your thinking out. Right, refreshing. Are you on track to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish this year? And a lot of you are actually getting notices from companies that they no longer need you. So, you know, all those questions are fair questions. It's a healthy process at any given time to draw a line in the sand and say, where am I? Where am I going? Am I on track to live the kind of life that I wanted to live? Am I on track to leave the legacy that I want to leave? So it's a healthy kind of process. We're going to talk about that. Some of the questions we've got here and one in particular says, I've never quit a job before. Is it time? Somebody says, will writing a weekly editorial bring me coaching clients? Is there a way I could build a business around this blog? Can I steal the business I built from my uncle without it feeling like a betrayal? Now, I've kind of reworded that because he didn't say he was going to steal it, but that's what it amounts to. We'll talk about that. I'm a small animal veterinarian, and I've come to realize that the clinic I'm currently working at is not the right environment for me to thrive. I'm constantly feeling so demoralized, and the relationship that I have with the main managers has become very toxic. All right, now here's our quotation. Quotation for the day comes from Winston Churchill, who once said, you will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. Now this week, I was reminded of that because this week I've had a couple different situations where I've heard about people being criticized, somebody else, even Joanne. Incidentally, I've got a little clip from Joanne where we're talking about some of the issues that people often ask us about, about the life that we've created but I got a clip from her that I want to play, but even sweet, non-offensive, loving everybody, nurturing the whole world. Joanne, you know, I had somebody this week who had harsh criticism on her website. Now here's the deal. The way to get, never get criticized is to never do anything. Don't do anything. Don't say anything. And nobody will criticize you as soon as you, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a prairie dog. As soon as you raise your little head up out of the hole in the sand, somebody's going to want to whack you. It's just what some people enjoy doing. So even Joanne had somebody that, you know, had a harsh criticism for her. Now, fortunately, she's been around this environment long enough to realize it comes with the territory. You cannot make an impact without having some people try to pull you back down. And I talk about the black crabs, you know, where you walking along the beach in the morning, picking up black crabs, getting ready for dinner. Well, one of those babies in the bucket gets to thinking, Hey, this isn't going to end real well. So he decides, I'm going to see if I can uh, change the outcome here, reaches up to the edge of the bucket, pulls himself up. And just as he's ready to tip and go back under the sand of freedom, one of those crabs in the bucket grabs his leg and pulls him back in. Well, we all have those black crabs in our lives. Just 
part of living, especially if you're doing something extraordinary or, or have any measure of success at all. There are going to be people who know you and love you, people who are close to you who are going to try to pull you back in. But like this quotation says, you'll never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. There was another situation this week where there's an event that um, has to do with the industry that a lot of us are involved in, this information space, and somebody had been nominated for one of the awards and then was not moved into the top category of finalist and wrote a scathing, hateful, demeaning message to the organizers of the event. Well, that person should have never been in the running for anything, obviously, with that kind of an attitude, but and it just happens. You know, you have to get used to that. It's not that we just dismiss criticism, but if it is just non-useful criticism, yeah, don't let it stop you from what you're doing. If you do that, you'll, you'll get stopped real quickly from doing anything special. Well, hey, I want to I talk to you about a, a fun thing that we've got going on here at 48 Days. Um, but before that, let me do this. Well, hey, I want to mention my friends at Harry's. You know that I start my day every day of the year shaving with my Harry's razor to get that best shave possible in the world. Harry's blades are super sharp, provide that close, comfortable shave. Plus, the moisturizing cream smells amazing. Now, here's the deal. We have Father's Day coming up. I know dads can be tough to shop for. I mean, what are you going to get your dad who has everything? You don't want to get another tie or pair of socks he's never going to wear. You want to get something practical, but also something really special. Well, Harry's has you covered. Harry's has a special limited edition shave set for Father's Day. I've got one right here. It is beautiful. The limited edition Father's Day shave set includes a matte black razor handle, a chrome razor stand, Harry's Moisturizing Foaming Shave Gel, three of Harry's handcrafted blade cartridges, and a travel cover, all for $40. Plus, it comes in a sleek, giftable box with the option to add custom engraving and a personalized card. Now, Harry's also has other shaving sets at different price points, starting at $15, so you can get one for yourself as well. But the deal is, check it out now. Check it out. Go to Harry's dot com right now redeem a special offer for fans of 48 days show harry's is going to give you five dollars off the first purchase if you go to harrys.com slash 48 days don't wait you can still get your father's day gift out that's h-a-r-r-y-s dot com slash 48 days to get five dollars off get dad something he'll actually use this father's day well, we've got some fun things going on here at 48 Days. One of the things that our team was talking about this week was uh, we need a couple additional team players. One of the things we're going to do is offer a 48 Days internship. Now, we've not done this before. Now, we, we've had a lot of people that have certainly come through and offered their services in different ways over the years. But we want something more formalized at this point. We are looking for a couple 48 days interns for the summer. So you may be in between years at school. You may be being in between opportunities uh, at a little later in life stage. You may be a stay at home mom. Hey, we don't care, but we want somebody to come on our team. We've got about 18 people on our team at this point. And 
These are all people who work in their area of specialty. What we're looking for is somebody to work with us in the personality profiles. A lot of you have experienced those. You know the power of those. We want somebody to help our clients understand and use these DISC personality profiles. Now, without going into a lot of detail, uh, Dr. Brian Dixon and my daughter Ashley are really ready to talk to you or ready to go on this particular area. If you go to 48days.com slash internship, you'll see some cool details there about that. We'd love to talk to you about the possibility of being part of our team here. Now, I think before I go into the questions, again, we've got some super questions coming up today, but I want to play this interview that I did with Joanne. The issues that she addresses in her new book, Creating a Haven of Peace, are so common and have been for years and years and years and years. That's why she ultimately pulled it together in this book. How have we created the kind of life that we have? How have we created a place of peace? Why is it that when people show up here at the sanctuary, they're so drawn to, and their most common comment is, it's so peaceful here. Well, it's not just the fact that we're, you know, back off the road. It's the fact that Joanne has been very intentional about how she creates a place of peace. So check this out. I got a little interview, just a short one with her talking about some of these principles. Well, you've heard me talk about Joanne's upcoming book, and we're getting really close. She has written Creating a Haven of Peace, and we are super excited about it. So I wanted her to come in and just talk a little bit about that, just to introduce the concepts. This book came out of so many questions that we've gotten over the years. Uh, Joanne, tell us a little bit about why you wrote the book. Well, both of us come from backgrounds that we didn't particularly want to emulate in our home. There wasn't the feeling of warmth and peace and harmony and love that we really wanted. So when we got married all those decades ago, back in 1968, we decided to draw a line in the sand and decided that uh, our lives were going to be different. Our home was going to be different. Our relationship was going to be different. So we worked really intentionally on having a haven of peace. And, you know, I don't know, Dan, that I was really conscious so much at that point in time. I was a 19-year-old girl, young, a teenager still, very young, and you were just a little, uh, you were 20. So we both kind of, we developed that intentional living almost by um, just, I, I want to say by design, God's design, but we didn't really realize that until long after the fact. But we were starting right at the beginning to find mentors and ways to speak love and truth into our lives in a way that would make us grow and be stronger together. And one of the things that we wanted so clearly was a home that had a different feeling than what both of us had grown up in. I don't know, when we look back now, it's kind of funny. You know, we, we weren't as smart as what it seems in retrospect, I guess. It's kind of easy to connect the dots when you look back. But we were intentional right yes. from the beginning about that little tiny trailer that we had originally that was eight feet by 42 feet long that we lived in for the first four years. We wanted that to be a place that was welcoming. And it was that. We were just off campus at the Ohio State University, and we found that a lot of people, especially, you know, the young single guys love to come over and they'd borrow sugar, but they like to just hang around because it was a peaceful place. Mm -hmm. So you've been a master over the years at creating what we call sanctuary. What comes to your mind when you talk about 
creating a haven of peace? What's the kind of feeling? Why is it when people walk into our home, the most common comment we hear is, oh, it's so peaceful here. I want to back up just a little bit, Dan, because I think probably, well, I know uh, that what played into this desire to have this haven of peace stemmed a lot from the chaotic uh, history that I had growing up. My mother was single. She was uh, rather narcissistic. She was very much in control. She, I w- played a role in her life of um, kind of being, I was the good girl. I did all kinds of things right. And because I f- didn't want to provoke her wrath, because her wrath would mean yelling, screaming, pulling hair, grabbing something and hitting us, things like that. And it was not a very peaceful home. It was often full of chaos, bickering, fighting, not not very happy and loving. So because of that, I think, you know, here, here's an important point. I could either have either taken that as my role model and said, okay, this is the way you're supposed to have love. This is the way you're supposed to have a home. This is what this is normal. And I know a lot of people who feel that way. Well, this is normal. And they stay that way. I decided this isn't normal for me. I couldn't handle that. I'm sure part of that is my personality style. Part of it is just a desire to have a loving home and someplace that was sanctuary for everybody who entered to come in and feel that love and that peace and the quiet, the place of immunity, no matter what they've done, who they are, etc. I felt a need for that in my life. And so we intentionally did that. And it's not a matter of having a 10,000 square foot home with servants at your beck and call. It's a matter of taking the very simple things and being intentional about making it a place of peace and a place of sanctuary. I love the comments we get from people when they walk into our house. And you, again, are a master at using all five senses. So when somebody walks in, when our kids would come home from school, you know, but when somebody walks into our house, they're likely to be approached to experience peace, calm in a variety of ways. Tell us kind of how you set that up. Well, I discovered kind of by accident, I think through the years that I was um, subconsciously inviting all the senses, all the sensual um, aspects of our lives, our touch, smell, see, hear, taste, all of those things that that just seem to come natural to us, but we don't think about it a whole lot. And I was incorporating that in having that haven of peace. I, I love to have things that have soft cozy textures that people, including my grandkids, like to cuddle up, cuddle up in and, and enfold themselves in that peace. I like to have uh, homemade cookies and breads and things like that. When the kids were in school, when they were quite small, they would always, I would time it so that when they came home from school, they would smell the essence of whatever I was baking, whether it was cookies or or breads. I did a lot of homemade breads back then and pies and things like that. I wanted them not to come into a home full of clutter because that does give, it's stress producing. It does give the uh, appearance of chaos in your home, lots of clutter. Uh, I wanted everything opened up so that the curtains, our home right now has 
very few curtains. I can't think of hardly any, actually. We like open windows. Yes, we do. We like open windows. But, of course, we live in an area on nine acres where it's it's quite... Uh, it's it's perfectly fine to do that. Nobody's going to look in, and if they do, hey, whatever. But uh, if I lived in the city, I might feel a little differently. But even so, during the day, I would have to pull those curtains open and let the sunshine in, let the joy of the outside come in. Uh, soft music is always playing at our house. I don't care. In fact, right now, I'm, I'm spending today cleaning out some of my art stuff out of the sanctuary, and I have soft music playing in the background. It's just part of what sets the tone. Raucous, loud noise, yelling in the house, things like that wasn't allowed in the house. If you want to yell and scream and carry on and uh, play crazy, Go outside and do it. Inside is for peace and quiet. So, yeah, we had a lot of the the senses incorporated into our creating a haven of peace. And it wasn't until quite a few years into that that I realized that that was just something that was natural for me. Even today, we live on a place where we have a long gravel driveway. And we tell our grown kids and grandkids you know, leave your troubles out there in a the paved road. When you turn into that little gravel driveway, you're coming back to a place of peace, not chaos, fighting, bickering, but a place of peace. And, you know, we don't want to oversimplify what it takes to do this, but there are things, it doesn't take money. It just takes mm-hmm. deciding to do that. And that's what I love about your book, Creating a Haven of Peace, because it lays out so clearly the little things that anybody can do no matter where they are today. And one of the things that you talk about in there is that it's never too late to have a new beginning. You know, sometimes people look at us and certainly, you know, wish they could change things that have already happened. We encourage people, no matter where they are, you can make a decision that will in fact create that sanctuary of peace. It just takes small steps, just a beginning, just the simplest thing like making a little post-it note with an I love you on it and sticking it on the mirror where you know your loved one, whether it's a child, a parent, a sister, a brother, uh, a friend, whatever, where you know they're going to see it. I know last week I had to go and speak at a conference and I was gone for a couple of days. And what did you find inside your smoothie maker? Inside my smoothie maker found a sweet little note from you on top of my pillow, you know, in the mirror in the bathroom, little notes from you after we've been married all these years, you're going to be gone for only two days. You weren't impressing any kids or anybody else, just especially for me. But those things have made our home a, a haven of peace. That's so true. You know, years ago, the book Love is a Decision, it was at Gary Smalley? Um, Probably. I think so. <laughs> anyway, Love is a Decision was out, and it was a real popular book, and that's been a long time ago. But I really do believe that. You know, we can decide every single day, how is this day going to play out? How are we going to show love? Uh, our son, Jared, and his wife, Ilea, are often telling their, child, uh, their, their little girl, Sersha, she's uh, four years old next week, and she, they, they tell her all the time, Sersha, be love, be love. And that's such a simple concept, really. There's so many little things that you can do to be love. And it starts that way. I I lay out in the Creating a Haven of Peace, not just ways that you can decorate your home or that you can uh, physically make it look like a haven of peace or have that feeling of a haven of peace. But I also lay out the fact that you have to have the foundation in your relationship. 
I don't believe in kid-centered homes. I do believe that the kids get their love, their strength, their security through watching the parents love each other, watching them be love. So I lay out a lot about how important that is, too. Well, you know, I'm super proud of you for doing this. This is I call this your magnum opus. Yes. This really is your heart and your life message. Create a haven to peace. We've got some uh, free bonuses for our listeners. We've got a beautiful infographic that um, Jared created on the five senses, how you can use the five senses. It's beautifully done. You can just print it off. If you go to 48days.com slash haven, H-A-V-E-N, you'll take it'll take you right to that where you get that beautiful infographic and we want to then also introduce you to the kickstarter campaign that we've got going right now just having a lot of fun with that i mean we already have the books but have some interesting ways that you can engage with the content that Joanna's created you can uh, get one of her art jaclays one of her art prints you can come join her for an art class here we've got some fun things there again when, once you get that beautiful pictorial that we want to give you we'll give you some information about the kickstarter program or you can just go to kickstarter and you can just put in joanne meller you're going to find it right there but we'd love to have you engage with us there tell us what you're thinking and how we can help you create your own haven of peace definitely my goal for this year is to outsell dan miller so i encourage you to go to that kickstarter uh, campaign and and also to visit my own website joannefmiller.com Uh, I've got new blogs that I'm putting up each week, and uh, they're all related to family and home and love and relationships. So it's a critical, it's got to start in the home. The future of our country lies in in what is happening in your home, every one of us. So we all have that responsibility. Not as important what's happening in the White House and politics. Those things will come and go, but you can be in the driver's seat in what happens in your home. Well, thanks, honey, for coming in. I'm excited about this project, Creating a Haven of Peace. Love you. Well, there you go. My gosh, with that, I kind of hate to go into negative questions, but um, I I obviously love what Joanna has done. She is the person that you imagined her to be, uh, and uh, she doesn't disappoint you when you show up in person. So we're excited about that. Now, last week, one of the questions that I shared was from... Somebody asked about, let's see, it was from um, David, David Humphrey, who asked about his 84-year-old father had created these sounds of yesteryear and was wondering what to do with those. Is there a way to monetize those? I mean, some of the things that we, we heard last week, golly, I'll bring up a couple of them here again just to remind you, you know, things like this, an old steam train. Boom. Golly, we had that. We had an old telephone. And we had these sounds wondering, you know, it, it was such a cool idea. And it was, you know, what, what can we do to take that and somehow turn that into a product that could be monetized? He had already created, no, I don't want to stop that. He had already created an LP, one of the big LPs back in like 1972. But times have changed, obviously. You know, will people still buy a CD? What will they do? And I ask for your help. Well, you, the listeners, as always, came through with Shining Stars. 
I've got a bunch of things here. I've got another note from, from David as well that I want to share. But before I do that, I want to share some of the ideas that you all submitted. So Chris says, for filmmakers, storytellers, museum exhibit creators, license the audio clips as sound effects. Next idea, license through a stock footage site. No infrastructure to create. License on a site you create, more potential income, but you have to find your own customers. Uh, for history buffs, you could sell the CD by itself. Make a package that includes the CD with a coffee table book with a lot of photographs telling the stories of the sounds. Make a DVD that has short videos that tell the story of the sounds. Also sell it digitally. Maybe, maybe the above packages could have a vinyl record option as well for that extra dose of nostalgia. Golly, I love that. You know, I love the idea of the old sounds being on the old style vinyl record. Uh, for model railroaders, market the above history products as well. Incorporate with a product that allows use on a model railroad, licensed to a company that produces audio products for model railroads. Telling the story of the sounds could be both the story of the recorded sounds and the object they represent, as well as the story of how the sounds of yesteryear recording came to be. Uh, the model railroad community tends to be people who also love history. So I think they'd really embrace this. I have a family, a full-time job. I'm a filmmaker on the side. I don't know if I'd have time to help further, but feel free to pass on my name and email. This sounds like a lot of, like a fun project from Chris Sparrows. Chris, thanks for that. Now what I'm going to do, I'm going to capture all these that are coming in. I'm just going to read a few here, but I'm going to capture all these that are coming in and forward those on. So, there'll be an archive of great ideas here. I love it when you all respond like this and produce great ideas. You know, certainly goes way beyond what I could see or imagine. Joe says the sounds of yesteryear can be sold as ringtones for cell phone or doorbells or email alerts from Joe LaFleur. Brian Ensminger says, Dan, I have one idea that this person might be able to use. Perhaps he would be able to offer those Sounds as either downloads or a compilation CD of royalty-free Foley sounds. I know there's a lot of competition in that space, but perhaps there's still room for him. Chris says, have you heard, heard your request from the community regarding the old-time sounds? How about selling them like stock photography? You own a library of library sounds and sell or license them a la carte to anybody who needs them, such as podcasters, video makers, etc. Of course, this could be done in conjunction with other ideas. And then, yeah, I got a note from David who says, um, whoops, okay, this is another David. David McMillan says, make the individual tracks available as ringtones in the iTunes store. Add to that a small website selling the individual files as ringtones. On the website, the story can be told that adds value to each track. Well, he goes on. A lot of you have the idea of telling a story, and there is some of that. Well, I just played the sound clips last week, but uh, David's dad does have a lot of that where he tells a brief story about the sound. So uh, you all are encouraging him as being on the right track. Now, this is the note I got from David Humphrey. Thanks so much for talking about Sounds of Yesteryear on your latest podcast. We are thrilled. We would like to send you a complimentary copy of the original mint condition factory sealed Sounds of Yesteryear as an LP with 1972 copyright and the crystal clear Sounds of Yesteryear on CD. Both were professionally made by a record company. 
Is there an address we can send it where it will go directly to you and not be set aside? Absolutely. David, thank you for your generosity there. I love that. I look forward to receiving that. We'll display it proudly here at the sanctuary, and I'll shoot you my address, as well as all these ideas that we're, as they come in, I'll continue to forward those on to you. So again, thanks, community, for your involvement there. Those are the kind of things I love to see happen. Well, this comes in from Michael, who says, I've never quit a job before. Is it time? I posted this first on 48days.net and got some amazing feedback. So if you are thinking, is this a time to quit the job that I'm in? Rather than me giving you a 30-second answer here, I want you to go to 48days.net and look at the responses that Michael's been getting to this post. I've never quit a job before. Is it time? What he showed is it's been... um, Okay, this is, uh, it's been quite a while since I posted anything, but I know I'm among friends here at 48 Days, and this is the only safe place I know. In recent months, I've been having a terrible struggle with my job, and my health has really suffered. I've gained weight. I've had to resort to medication to deal with anxiety. I'm out of shape from sitting at a desk all day after more than 30 years of working on my feet. I've become bored, lacking joy, and my boss is a micromanaging tyrant. At the end of my days, I'm so emotionally exhausted. I have little left for my family and can't bring myself to look for work. I become disillusioned and at at odds with how my company does business and the onslaught of government paperwork I have to deal with daily. It's very hard to find any enthusiasm in a situation like this. I counsel people all day on how to find work or improve their situation, but I can't seem to do it for myself. I've never quit a job before and I've never been this close to quitting either. I feel the complete loss of income and I have next to nothing. I fear the complete loss of income and I have next to nothing to live off if I lose this job. I'm not sure how to quit if I did. Any thoughts as to whether I should continue to struggle and try to improve things or whether I should consider leaving? Is it time? Well, you know, my answer there is yes, it's time. With the things that you've identified, certainly it's time. But don't burn any bridges. Don't leave without a plan of what you're moving to. Don't leave just in reaction moving away from your current situation. You've got to create that plan. Even though you're emotionally drained, you've got to get excited about what you could be moving to and have some kind of a plan for that. Again, there's a wonderful dialogue going on at 48days.net under this topic. I've never quit a job before is a time. Just go there. If you, if you are either in that situation where you are considering leaving a job or you have some advice to give Michael, Please go there and just get involved in the conversation. Now, Justin says, will writing a weekly editorial bring coaching clients? Our local newspaper has offered to publish my content as a weekly editorial on life improvement. As a coach, I'm considering it as another opportunity to fill my pipeline. Have you or anyone you know used this strategy? Do you think writing a regular editorial will bring clients? Well, Yes, yes, yes. I think that's a wonderful opportunity, Justin. When I was first starting out as a career coach, I started sending notes to the Nashville Business Journal. Now, these are just little short tips, you know, like five fatal flaws in interviewing and 10 tips for job search success. This was at a time where the Saturn plant had had come, was struggling. A lot of people were being let go. And I would address things like, you know, what if you've spent 35 years working for the same company and then they no longer need you? What are you supposed to do? So I would just send in these little pieces on that. So they would run them as op-ed pieces. So their opinions and letters 
from readers. But people reading a magazine like that don't distinguish between op-ed notes and commissioned columns that the paper has. So readers started asking for regular content from this guy named Dan Mellor. And so the Nashville Business Journal then asked me if I would do a weekly column, which I did for about four years. I mean, that, that absolutely did put me on the map as a career coach. And those articles led to clients, interviews, speaking opportunities. I mean, writing has always been my biggest and most effective marketing tool. So, uh, Justin, if you enjoy writing, absolutely do that. It doesn't matter if it's a small local paper. It's a great way to start creating content. You can leverage that into all kinds of other things. I mean, some of my books, I mean, the book Wisdom Meets Passion, I put that together very quickly as a book manuscript because I compiled blog posts that I had written over a couple year period of time. So it was those brought together. So anytime you're creating content, even if you don't have a lot of readers or if it's a small publication, you're still creating content and that content can be repurposed again and again. Tony Williams, there's a note, there's a, an ongoing conversation on 48days.net on flipping cars. And I love this because back in 2010, so six years ago, Tony Williams says, I'm thinking about flipping cars. I love driving luxury and exotic sport cars. I've owned several over the years and have enjoyed owning the more expensive cars. Uh, Due to the current economy, I haven't been able to continue my passion of exotic sports cars. I'm currently starting over and thinking about flipping cars on a limited amount of cash I have $5,000 to get started. I was wondering, has anyone had any experience selling small used cars and trucks? That was back six years ago. But what happens in 48days.net is when a blog post form question, when a, when a form question gets a response, it comes back on the front page. And it's really interesting. I love this because usually about once a month, this piece on flipping cars shows back up again on the front page. That means that there are enough people in the 48 days community who are interested in that concept. And of course you hear me talk about it. I mean, I do love that and love it a lot. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of flipping of cars over the years. I love the process. When I used to go to repo auctions and buy cars for yeah, usually 800 to $1,500, you know, not a lot of money, but usually we do a quick cleanup, just, check them out to make sure they're okay mechanically and then front them in our front yard. And Craigslist is amazing for getting quick results like that. Um, now when, when you do it like that, just an individual, there are usually limitations in any given state for how many cars you can flip in a year in your name without being a dealer. Now without being deceptive, and I hope it doesn't sound that way, but I certainly have cars that I've, Title. And when I buy it at a repo auction like that or buy from somebody else in Craigslist, I do have to put it in my name. Have to put it in my name, make sure it passes smog inspection, get a title, you know, wait for a couple of weeks to get that in, pay the sales tax and all that. So it has to go through my name legitimately. And with that, I've had cars titled, you know, Dan Meller, Daniel Meller, Daniel J. Meller, Joanne Meller. I mean, you have a lot of you can go through a whole lot of cars just by burying the name a little bit and still be within the legal definition of what you can do there. But I, I love seeing this topic come back up. I, I just bought a car this last week. I needed something uh, for somebody to drive, did some looking, looked at probably 10 cars and bought um, Mitsubishi Montero. It's just absolutely in primo condition. 
Uh, somebody obviously took care of it. I mean, I looked at it carefully. We took care of a couple little things. Yeah, the check engine light was on because it needs an O2 sensor. Had that done, you know, 100 bucks, get that done. Not a big deal. But I paid 2500 bucks for it. And I mean, it looks, it'd stand up against anything that people paid $30,000 for because it looks so gorgeous. It's so immaculate. If you're careful, you can do that. Yeah, love the, uh, love the process. Now, Harvey says, is there a way I could build a business around this blog? Two years ago, I spent most of my spare time interviewing entrepreneurs about how they get started. I was especially interested in those who began on the side as sidepreneurs. I learned a great deal and enjoyed interviewing people like Aaron Walker and others not so well known. I stopped when I grew weary of working 12 hours on each interview and not gaining financially by that labor. Still, I love the niche and topic. Is there a way I could build a viable business in that space? His blog link is sidepreneurmagazine.com. He posted this on 48days.net as well. And we had a bunch of people, Alan Debon, Lee Smith, Pete Herrick, Robert Longley, and a whole bunch of others gave some really great advice. Can you build a business around a blog like that, interviewing sidepreneurs? You better believe it. I mean, th- these people gave a lot of advice. And I don't have time to give an overview of that. You can go there and check it out. Is there a way I could build a business around this blog? But I mean, I know people personally, like Crystal Payne, who has Money Saving Mom. She started with a blog. Women started responding to her blog. I mean, she has an amazingly successful business. I won't give you dollar figures, but believe me, it took a horse because she helps moms save money on coupons. You know, today, at Walmart, you can save $2 on Pampers by using this coupon. And people click on the coupon and Crystal gets $0.10 cents, you know, from the, the manufacturer because somebody used that coupon. It's set up like that. So the, the users of her material don't pay anything, but she gets compensated little tiny pieces from the manufacturers whose products she promotes. But in doing so, when you do that enough, yes, it adds up to very, very significant figures. Ruth Sukup, living well, spending less. Another stay-at-home mom did the same thing. Started writing content about that. She's turned that into courses. I mean, you've heard me recommend her blogging course. Uh, she's turned it into books. She's got a brand new book out, Unstuffed, which is just delightful. Well, as a matter of fact, I had her on a podcast, now that I think about it, when, when she launched that book and we helped her promote it. But started with a blog. So yes, absolutely, you can do that. Now, here's a question. I'm a professional counselor. I've been working to build a private practice for the past four or five months. The practice is owned by my uncle who tasked me to build it and paid me to do so. It's a resource for the clientele of a different company. He is not a counselor. I have a desire to own my own business, have had for four or five years, being tasked to start a practice and having to struggle through the many challenges that come with the territory. I have become confident that I want to be my own boss. I want to respect my uncle and the investment he has made. The practice is still in its infancy, but I'm confident that in time it will be successful. Can I make the practice my own without it feeling like a betrayal? No non-compete was signed. Absolutely not. Wow. I mean, talk about the spirit of the law or the letter of the law. I mean, if you're looking for a legal out with an uncle Wow, that's that's a real red flag. Please, please don't do that. 
If he paid you to build this business, it is 100% his, not yours. There is no way that you have an option here to somehow subtly turn the corner and make it your own. Now, if you talk to him and want to have some kind of a compensation back to him for what he invested in you and you come to some kind of terms to buy the business, I mean, sir, you can do that with anything. But to think that since you don't have a non-compete, that you just open your own sign, one door over, make it your own business? No, totally, totally. Violation of ethics, common sense, courtesy, and decency. I mean, I, I was raised Mennonite. You know, I, I have a book proposal uh, with Thomas Nelson now where they're just waiting on the manuscript if I ever get around to writing it. But the working title is Sealed with a Handshake where I talk about why businesses are very successful today. It's not because of contracts. It's not because of fancy social media and all that. It goes right back to the basics. Word is bond, integrity. But keeping I'm a big one for keeping your word. And uh, th- this is just a situation, you know, absolutely no. John says, I'm a television producer who's worked in the field for a national news network for 20 years, still employed, but I've always had a huge desire to start my own business. I love the television production industry and I've learned to become a decent storyteller. My wife accepted a job in another state. I plan on leaving my job to join her an ideal moment to fulfill my desire of starting my own thing. You think I could transfer those storytelling skills into producing videos about small businesses and their products for social media instead of charging an exorbitant production fee. I could take a cut of the sales that are generated from the videos, much like an affiliate link but is there a way to measure sales if a business is not running an affiliate program? Sure. Yeah, you can do what you're talking about, John. I mean, I, I like I like the idea. Um, you can do that. I mean, I like that model. Or instead of getting a big fee up front, you participate in the success of that. Now, certainly you're going to want to partner with people who have a track record of success. You know, that's going to mean it's probably not going to be somebody just starting out, but somebody who has a track record of success. I've got arrangements like that with people where I pay them nothing for major work on the front end, but they participate in the success as we ramp up sales of that product. Very legitimate way to do it. And, and you don't, there's a lot of trust involved in this as well. Like the previous question, I mean, the people that I pay, I mean, I just wrote a check for $7,700 to somebody for the work that they, they did because of sales we produced last month. They don't see my, financial records they don't know what my total sales were they don't know what the sales of that product were other than the fact that i'm honest and tell them that i mean if i gave them a lower figure obviously i'd pay them less. but i don't do that i mean what if we agree on something then it's a done deal and so you want to work with people who have high integrity and have a track record of that very thing tiffany says i'm a small animal veterinarian working in tennessee and i'm in need of some advice I've come to realize that the clinic I'm currently working at is not the right environment for me to thrive. I'm constantly feeling so demoralized and the relationship that I have with the main managers has become very toxic. I know I need to find a new opportunity that I can feel happy again. Any advice on what I need to do as I begin my search? Sure. Absolutely. For one thing here, as a small animal veterinarian, you should be highly marketable. I mean, that's not something that everybody has in their resume. So you're in a very small category of people to go out and market your skills. But here's what I would do. Don't just look for who's hiring in that space. You identify 200 practicing veterinarians in your target area. 
Now you say you're in Tennessee, so let's assume that you want to stay in the Nashville area or Memphis or Knoxville, wherever it is, but let's take Nashville. So identify 200 practicing veterinarians in this area, send them a simple form, an actual physical letter with their name on it, identify who you are, and then just ask questions. Would you like to sell your practice? Would you like to have another veterinarian come in two days a week? Uh, Would you be interested in having one week a month off? Be creative with three or four questions like that. You will be amazed at how many of those things you're going to get back. I mean, make it fun. Show yourself to be a great team player. You'll get responses back that are going to allow you to have a whole lot of options and for you to choose your best opportunity. I had a, a young chiropractor several years ago where we did exactly this thing. He was a chiropractor. He had $121,000 in student loan debt, and he hated what he was doing. He was so tired of working with people who wouldn't follow through. People would come in and workman's comp, but not really motivated to do, to take responsibility for their own health. He was ready to just close the doors and get out. And I said, hey, dude, you you may hate this, but somebody else is going to love this. You've got something that's of value. Don't do that. Don't close the doors. In two weeks, we found a buyer, $90,000, which put a big dent in his student loan debt. Great immediate solution. But I said, how did you find what it is that you're doing? And he described that when he was looking for his first opportunity, he did exactly what I just described. He identified like 200 chiropractors, sent notes to them. He got about 130 of those back. And I says, you got to be kidding me. I said, you know how valuable that information is? In 24 hours, he put together a little ebook we put up on eBay. He didn't have a website or anything. Put it up on eBay, how to find your perfect chiropractic practice in 90 days guaranteed. So he just described the process that he had used. And in the first 24 hours, we sold seven of those at $29.95. Now that's not going to break your financial bank, but it blew his mind to know that somebody would pay him for what he knew in addition to just what he could do with his hands. But that's what we're talking about here, Tiffany. You put it, you stay in the driver's seat. Now, I did a quick Google search uh, just right here now. Veterinarians in Tennessee, I got 983,000 responses. Now, certainly there's not that many veterinarians, but there's a whole lot that you can choose from to put you in the driver's seat as you start to make this transition. So, hey, you can do it. Have fun. Enjoy. Be confident you can move into the next opportunity where it's not a toxic environment, where it is what you want. You can be in the driver's seat with the unique, specific, valuable skills and degree that you have so that you define what that next opportunity looks like. Hey, love it. Thanks for your questions. Well, a lot more questions to go there. We'll jump back into them next week again. Keep those coming. Got a couple that are I've got one that I really want to park on where somebody is reading 48 Days to the Work You Love and has some really deep spiritual questions about the validity of finding work that we love. Is it selfish? Is it just egocentric to do that? I want to address that. I may may try to work that into next week's podcast. So, hey, again, this is a great time of year to be looking at where are you? What do you want to accomplish? Remember those um, downloads that we've got for you? Go to 48days.com slash haven and get that beautiful, beautiful pictorial that we put together to show you how to use the five senses in your home. 48days.com haven. 
We want you to have that. And then if you're interested in being part of our team here, you know, coming on as an intern for the summer, that's 48days.com slash internship. We'd love to hear from you there as well. Hey, thanks for being part of this growing community where we know we can have what we're looking for. Golly, the old U2 song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You can find the work that you're looking for. Trust me. So thanks for being committed to finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Yeah.